Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. I want a hug. I want a Jurgen Klopp hug. Hello, I'm Richard Parr and welcome to the best in the world. I'm of course talking about the Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp. Now you may have noticed before a game, after a game, when a player's coming on as a substitute, Jurgen Klopp is just hugging his players. It was interesting, I was watching the Liverpool-Manchester City game just over a week ago and I noticed that when Jordan Ibe was coming on a substitute the Liverpool midfielder Jurgen Klopp came from behind him and gave him a big hug and when Ibe ran onto the pitch you could see it in his eyes that he was going to try even harder to keep his manager happy it was almost that father figure role of I'm not going to let you down dad and I think it's a really infectious way of coaching it's It's something I've never really seen publicly. Obviously, coaches might be doing that on the training ground. And I really think that what he said before Jurgen Klopp is that um, he is a player's friend, but not their best friend. And I think that's a really nice way to work with the players. And it'd be really interesting to see how other players would react to this type of coaching. Obviously, there's huge problems at Chelsea right now with Jose Mourinho and Diego Costa. Uh, Mourinho was of course very famous for keeping his house in order and not really letting the press get near but I think he's now a little bit too much of that old school teacher taskmaster. so we'll have to see if they improve but I uh, just want to stay with Jurgen Klopp a moment I don't know if any of you have seen it the Liverpool TV interview with Klopp with a nine-year-old scouser where the kids teaches Jurgen Klopp some scouse words and again, Jurgen Klopp comes across as such a nice guy. He's so encouraging to the kids, saying, I want to see you in six years to sign a contract with Liverpool. Work hard, focus, continue on your studies. And it's really inspiring for both people, young and old. I'm, I'm 32, nearly 33, and I'm still inspired by this guy. And I'm sure there are many Liverpool fans and football fans around the world who have a similar feeling towards Jurgen Klopp. Now, speaking of influential Germans, that's exactly who we have on the show today. A 1990 World Cup winning goalkeeper. We've got Bodo Ilgner. He's currently a pundit with the TV channel Being Sports in the United States. And we have a fantastic conversation. I do ask him about Jurgen Klopp and his coaching methods. But beyond that, Bodo talks about his time with Real Madrid, winning the Champions League in 1998 with them, winning the World Cup in 1990 with Germany. And there's a few different things that we cover. In particular, he talks about the importance of teamwork and camaraderie and that the difference between 1990, where they won it in 1994, where they didn't and didn't have a very good tournament, was the camaraderie and the friendliness amongst the team and the players. One of my favourite phrases is, 
teamwork makes the dream work. And Bodo really proves that that's the case in this instant. He also talks about some of his, some of his favorite coaches, some of his favorite players. He's played alongside some of the greatest players in the history of football and in the history of Real Madrid. We're talking people like Raul, Fernando Hierro, Clarence Seidel, Roberto Carlos, Ike Casillas. These are top, top names and certainly things we can learn from here on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. Now, if you want to learn even more, I'm giving you a chance to do it for free with my latest sponsor, that is Audible. And today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash best. That's www.audibletrial.com forward slash best. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And they have got quite a lot of sports biographies. Of course, we're talking about the 1990 World Cup with Bodo Ilgner. Paul Gascoigne played a massive part in that. And you can download his audiobook, for example, Gaza, My Story. That's on Audible. You can download that there. Then there's lots of other sports books you can download to listen to. Harry Redknapp always managing his autobiography. Maybe you like the Spanish side of Bodo Ilgner, his time in Real Madrid, but you're a Barcelona fan. So how about listening to Luis Suarez crossing the line, my story from him. And if you're really a combative person, how about something from Roy Keane, the second half that's written by Roddy Doyle. You can listen to that. It's all on audible.com. All you have to do, www.audibletrial.com forward slash best Bodo Ilgner World Cup winning goalkeeper Champions League winning goalkeeper he's next on the best in the world the best in the world podcast with Richard Parr hello Bodo welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr Uh, as a player who's played for Real Madrid before I just wanted to ask you what kind of pressure the manager Rafael Benitez must feel like he's under right now uh, every coach with Real Madrid is under a lot of pressure. Obviously, it's one of the biggest clubs in the world and um, only results count in the end of the day. So the pressure after the big loss against Barcelona, of course, is is tremendous. At Liverpool now, there's a German manager. It's Jurgen Klopp, uh, one of your countrymen. One of the things I notice about him is he hugs his players a lot, almost like a father figure. Does that make the players want to work harder for him? I think so. Yes, there's different coaching styles, and uh, he's he's the one who applies the one uh, like a father figure, maybe a good friend, an older brother, something like that. Very familiar and um, a very familiar atmosphere he tries to create in the club, and I think he has chosen the club very well for that. Um, he did that so in in Germany when he has chosen Borussia Dortmund, but now I think Liverpool is a similar style of club, very. Uh, grounded, very close to the to earth, and uh, very working um, atmosphere there. So I think it, it's a perfect fit there. And and yes, indeed, you, you, um, your observation were completely right. He loves to to be in contact with his uh, players and and demand therefore a lot of them. Were you ever hugged by any of your previous coaches or managers? Yes, yes, I was. Yes, we we had a very close relationship to our first or to my first coach in Cologne, Christoph Daum, who was my youth coach in general at all, and he had a uh, a, a similar style of coaching. And if you weren't a goalkeeper, what what would you have been then? This question was never asked to me because uh, it was obviously clear um, by the age of 14, 15, the dream was was created earlier uh, by the age of 6, 7 maybe, but um, it become more clearer now when I got to the age of 14, 15, I would say. And and why the goalkeeping position? Why not a striker? Why not a defender? What, what was it that, that drew you to playing in goal? Yeah, to be honest, I think I was a little bit um, 
I, I did not want to run too much when I was younger. So uh, I tr I started as a as a player in the field, but uh, not with very much success. My my very first season at the age of six, I was the only one with a very white shirt coming off the pitch and not running too much. And so I turned into the goalkeeper position pretty early when my, my father coached my first team and uh, there there I stayed. And you, you mentioned Christoph down there, you mentioned your father. Who who had the greatest impact on you as a young player? Of course, my father first, because uh, he um, organized a former goalkeeper, a father who was a former goalkeeper, um, to train with me. Um, specifically at the age of seven, eight already. So uh, by this time, I don't think that there were too many goalkeeper coaches around there, but my father um, already uh, was searching for this father who wanted to do that. Uh, his son played with it within my team and he was a former goalkeeper, so he was able to pass on to me the basics for the goalkeeping. Um, after that, my father tried to find a lot of um, literature about... Uh, goalkeeping, about coaching, about training as a goalkeeper. And um, so it created the first interest, the very first interest in me. After that, of course, uh, Christoph Daum as my youth coach, but also Bertie Vogts as a youth international coach uh, who, put, who, who has chosen me for the under-16 team later on and promoted me quite a lot until the first team, until I made it to the first team. These were the first... Uh, coaches um, who had the biggest impact on me. Were you always competitive as a kid? I was. I was. I did not like to lose at all in any game. Even in a board game, I got very bad mood. And uh, I remember once training with my father at the beach uh, in the summertime. Um, I was so angry because he scored too much against me. So I was <laughs> throwing sand at him. Uh, we were still we are still laughing about these stories uh, these days. What was your favorite board game? You know, f football. There was always a board board game or ball game. Board game, board game. A board game. Um, I think you call it parches in English. So where you have to to uh, dice your dice and and run around your figures, four figures, and to bring them home. And sometimes you get kicked out. I got so angry about that. Did did your schoolwork ever um, deteriorate because because of your focus on goalkeeping? Um, I tried not to, but uh, <laughs> it's funny that you ask now because a couple of days ago I put out my um, my last grades, and uh, in my memories they were very good, and 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 overall the end result of my high school diploma was good, but the exams by themselves were not. Uh, really outstanding so uh, I would say unfortunately yes in the end because uh, I got the um, contract as a professional goalkeeper uh, when I already or when I still had a year left of school so the last year I had training with the professionals I was traveling with the professionals I was traveling with the youth international team and I had to do my exams and unfortunately, they were not as good as I wished to. But uh, luckily, the overall result was still good because I was working hard and good the years before in school. Realistically, do you think you can make it as a top athlete sports star and also concentrate and work really hard on your studies? Or do you realistically have to give one up a little? No, I think you can do. I, can, I think you can do because you're traveling a lot and if you're... If you're ambitious in both things you can manage that uh, definitely there's there's a good chance you might be better if you could just concentrate on one thing but uh, you can manage and being still very very good at and in both and it's it's only a short period of time for example um, this was the last year or two years when i had really to concentrate but if you concentrate on school while you're in school and you're doing your homework when you're doing your stuff right away and, and being attentive uh, right in, in, the, in the middle of the class and then go to practice and be 100% concentrated in your practice, I think there's, a, there's a, good, a very good chance that you can make both. So what, what was your normal pre-match ritual before you go to a match? When, when you talk about practice, you talk about getting ready. How would you get ready for a match? And, and did it change in your career at all? 
Um, it might have changed slightly, but um, I think the the overall concentration or the all pre overall preparation was pretty much similar at, at some point. Um, the first of all, the week ahead of a game is, is crucial. You can't just uh, let the week go by and, and then uh, imagine or expect to be on top on, on the match day. That's impossible. So the week, the work throughout the week is essential to being up top level. And then on the on the match day itself, uh, obviously not when I was 14 or 15, but uh, when I was a professional, um, I got up early, pretty much early, much earlier than a lot of other players, <laughs> around eight, nine, had my little breakfast. And um, after that, sometimes we had a whole uh, walk with the whole team around the buildings or somewhere in the woods to just to relax and to shake off a little bit the pressure. Um, lunchtime. And uh, usually before we're heading out to the match, I had a little massage on my back, on my neck to to release some tension I got there from the week or from the from the match day and then on the way in the bus already to the game i had uh, my concentration i closed my eyes and and saw some situations that might occur during the match and lived them already through um yeah and then after that being in the dressing room already stretching myself before getting out um and then one to be the early, the first one to to head out on the pitch to get it warm with the ball, all these things and the normal ritual. But but this is was more more or less the ritual the whole career of mine. You mentioned quite a few things there from diet to the walks um, to meditation, everything like that. Is is walk, is taking an early morning walk with the team uh, something very typical for many clubs to be doing? I think, yes, because you, you want to get out of your bed, you want to get out of the hotel room, right? Otherwise, if you don't do anything, if you don't have any activity at all, then you just hang in your room and, and sitting on the on the, on the the bed because, they, you know, in a hotel room, there's not too much space. So, you know, just watching television, playing games or whatsoever, but you're not, you're not being active. So um, I think it's a it's a ritual that a lot of clubs do. Some even meet each other in one of the conference rooms. We did that with Fabio Capello um, and did some stretching, some some warm up stretching in the morning when we had the game in the afternoon or at night time, uh, just to interrupt the day. And you you mentioned you would kind of focus and and practically meditate. Did anyone teach you about that? Did you learn that yourself? Where where did that come from? Yeah, it developed a little bit. Um, I remember when I first got into a selection um, around the area I lived. So you, you go from the, the town selection to an area collect selection, then a West Germany selection, then to the German, finally to the German national team as a youth player. And uh, one of my coaches in the in the area selection, he said, you know, I'll, I, I see you from the outside. I see you very calm. Um, but I, I can feel or I can see in some actions you do that you're still nervous uh, during the game or, or in front, ahead of the game. So try to, to relax a little bit and, and be, be as calm as you seem. So that was the, the, the reflection point for me to, um, to think about it. And it was funny because this, uh, this guy, we were driving together to, to a match and he had some... Uh, Bhakti James Harvest music on, which relaxed me quite a lot. So then I started with that, listening to that music and, and uh, having calm thoughts, and I started reading about it. Uh, no, that was that was the, the first thing, the only thing that I ever remember that someone was talking about uh, meditation or, or something like that, and, and, and I got into it uh, more and more, and I felt um, good with it, actually, when I had positive thoughts, when I... When I've seen situations, uh, for example, picking a cross out of the air, um, being faster than a, than an attacker going towards the ball, or um, doing some some uh, kicks kickoffs or something like that, so I've I've felt much and more more and more comfortable throughout time. Were there any other songs or any other bands which came into your life after that later in the career? 
Now, sooner or later, I dropped the music. I don't know why, but uh, I did not need music anymore to relax. I just closed my eyes in the bus, for example, and, and could dis disconnected there completely. So I, I did not even notice what was going uh, happening around me. And it is, is, this, is this meditation, this focus, is it something you still do now post-career, post-football career? Um, I, I would do if I have some match coming up. So even if it's a, if it's a veterans match, I would do so. But as it's so not not too often, yeah, yeah, I would do that in these occasions, but not not in others. And you mentioned you'd start your day with a light breakfast. How important was nutrition and diet in the late eighties, early nineties? When I started in eighty five as a professional, it was not very important although they were thinking about it they were starting to think about it but we still had our steak and french fries ahead of the game two hours or three hours before the game which was uh, from our point of view now not the ideal food then we later on swapped that into pasta um, with tomato sauce which was more uh, carbonites that's uh, much well, at least an advantage by then um, yeah, we were we were starting to think, but it was uh, yeah beginning in the late '80s. Probably it got a little bit more serious, but there is no comparison to to our days. Mm -hmm. uh, was there anyone particularly, maybe at Real Madrid, who, who started making the changes during your career? Oh no, it uh, started earlier in Cologne. Actually, our um, um, our physic uh, physical prepper. Um, coach physical coach he was there and and uh, was developing quite a lot and um, putting out there some ideas for us already i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. We're just going to pause the conversation with Bodo to remind you that for you, the listeners of The Best in the World with Richard Parr, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They've got lots of books on Audible. And to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash best for your free audiobook. I strongly recommend you do it. I've done it. I've listened to the Arnold Schwarzenegger autobiography, among others. It's very, very easy to do when I'm in the gym, when I'm in the car, when I'm on the train. I'm listening to an audiobook to get a little bit smarter. So once you've downloaded The Best in the World with Richard Parr, you've listened to that, then you can press play on to your latest audio book and speaking of Richard Parr just like to say if you like this podcast I'd love it if you'd go to podcastland.com and vote for my podcast 
as the best of the week. All you have to do is go to the Podcast Land page. That's podcastland.com. Go to Best in the World with Richard Parr under the search box. And when you get there, just vote by putting in your email address and that will give me a vote. And hopefully I can get high up in the sports rankings and in the overall podcast rankings. All of that really helps. And if you want to know about things which can really help you, well, continue to listen to Bodo Ilgner. He's got some really interesting insight. If you want to be a professional goalkeeper, sportsman, or you just want help in your everyday life, well, let's continue to learn from the best. Here's more from Bodo. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. So you mentioned the process of getting to the national team through through the youth teams in the state teams and so were you really ready when you made your debut for Germany was everything in place yes I felt so actually I I really felt so because it was quite a hard selection it was quite a hard and tough way to go and it's not uh, that you come out of your little um, little team on the on a village and then just play for your national team as I mentioned before, you have to make the, your way through all the selection teams starting in your little town, going up to, to the state and to the western part of Germany. And you always find on that way um, quite hard rivalry. There's other good, there were other good goalkeepers, tough goalkeepers, uh, very well prepared. So you had to make your way. And, and once you reach up top there, you know that you have done it, that you have been the best of all those you have seen and all you've trained with you have been the best and that gave me for um for example the the confidence to to feel prepared to play for for germany what's going through your mind when you're standing listening to the national anthem in the stadium for the first time when you're you're playing for germany it was fantastic. Standing out there and just being in the spotlight, all all uh, spectators standing up, singing the national anthem, and we by that time we were starting to to sing along as well. It was not uh, usual before that, but uh, in that time around '88, we started to sing along, and and the people started to sing along, and then it and it felt great. It was uh, goosebump feeling. And you were obviously part of the 1990 uh, World Cup squad, which went on to win it. Um, How do players fill the time in between matches? Because obviously you're away from home, you're away from your family. What are the kind of things that you you do uh, as players to keep yourself occupied when you're away? The 1990 was a perfect example uh, how you can do it and how you can do it well. Um, because we were very concentrated when we were training, but we had our spare time. Uh, we we were able to have our wives around and uh, do some activities with them. So time flew by, and we were prepared very well. We trained very hard, but we also had our spare time, and, and it was the right mixture at, at that time, and, and the result um, was obvious. What would you do in your spare time? I was uh, driving around a lot with my wife. We uh, going to the uh, Lake of Como, had some ice cream there, and we're just uh, hanging out there with with uh, Pierre Baski, for example, Paul Steiner by then, who was a teammate from my of mine in in Cologne, and so we 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 spend a lot of time together in with our friends and our family. And. You were all harmonious. Were were there ever any clicks between groups, or or were you really all as one as a team? No, in 1919, I think you can only be a World Cup winner if everything works out fine, and this is on the on the field, but uh, aside of the uh, from the field as well. And that's this worked really well out for us, and and the group was very harmonized and. Uh, in 1994, for example, there was not as much harmony and, and you could see it directly in the result as well. And so, obviously, in 1990, you, you get to the final. Um, you mentioned earlier that you had struggled a little bit with nerves, but then you had your kind of process to calm you down. Um, obviously, it's a World Cup final. Millions and billions of people around the world are watching it. Um, did you behave? Did you do anything differently that day? No, I did not, because um, I learned throughout the um, the young years already 
that every game is important. So even if you have a friendly game or whatsoever, if and you want, if you want to perform well, you have to do exactly the same always, and not uh, to prepare more intense for a World Cup final than you would do for a cup game against a second division team. And um, that was my my biggest point or my most important point in preparation. So. Um, Treat every game um, the same, and then you don't get even more nervous on a, on a, even a bigger game. So that was uh, my my tactic. So how did it feel when you were able to get your hands on that World Cup trophy? Well, it, it was fantastic. It was just a, such a release as well because the game was so close. The tournament was long. Even the, the, the whole preparation for this tournament, starting with qualification against teams like Wales, uh, it was very tough. We could uh, qualify for this World Cup only in the very last game and, and pretty with a very last uh, goal as well from Thomas Hassler by then. So it was a long way until until this World Cup, until this title, uh, and it was fantastic. And the 19 minutes against Argentina, they were so long as well. So uh, it was a big, big relief and big, big fun. And of course, you became the first goalkeeper ever to keep a clean sheet in a final, even though you were playing players like Diego Maradona. Could, could you quite believe that? I never knew that actually until I moved to to the United States, where uh, where um, statistics are so important, and and I heard it for the very first time, and that was five years or seven years ago. So uh, by then, I I did not even have an idea. I didn't even care uh, if I got a clean sheet or not. I, I just cared about the the title itself to be able to hold this cup in my hands. And the victory in 1990 was a time when Germany was coming back together. How important was this victory for the future of Germany, a united Germany? I think it was very important because the, the Eastern Germans joining Western Germany, I think they, they could feel um, being united even more with this sport. Sports is, is very uniting, and especially football, as there's so many people loving this this sport. So I think it, it was the first step into uh, unification of Germany. And you mentioned the, uh, the youth teams and the process you went through. Um, since you, obviously, being a great goalkeeper winning in 1990, Germany have then had Oliver Kahn, they've now got Manuel Neuer. What is it about the German system that is making such great goalkeepers? I think uh, Germany started pretty early to have uh, specialists in training their goalkeepers. Um, and then I think it's a, it's a mentality thing as well. Uh, when you go through, through the uh, mentalities or the countries, I would say the more south you go, the more risky the goalkeepers usually play, and the more north you go, the more or the or the less risky and the more responsible they try to act. Um, so I think it's it's a mentality thing of Germans. It should be around England as well, the Dutch, all these these countries. They they um, bring out good goalkeepers, very interesting goalkeepers. And I think a lot, a, lot of it, a lot of it is the mentality. A lot of it, of course, is a preparation. Although if you, if you know now, uh, even in, in Spain and with Ike Casilla, such a great goalkeeper, the goalkeeping got more and more interesting for the young kids as well. And the preparation got much better now too. There's so many goalkeeper coaches out there. Um, with preparations, with titles, uh, who got their preparation from the from, from the federation. So um, preparation gets better in in all the spots. But I think it's about the mentality. And if you have a um, a raw model to look up to, like we always had in Germany, um, Zepp Meyer, Tony Schumacher, Oliver Kahn, now Manuel Neuer. There's always young people who want to be the same and want to be as good as them. And uh, Spain, for example, uh, had a good time with Ike Casillas. Now they, they bring along De Gea. Um, I think there, there's a lot of people looking up for, for them too. So I think it's, it's all this mixture of preparation, of having a raw model and uh, of mentality. You were obviously at Real Madrid when a young Ike Casillas was coming through. Could you always tell that he was going to be as good a player as he was? And, and what were the attributes he had specifically? 
you know, it's hard to tell when a 17 years year old uh, goalkeeper comes along. It's hard to tell that he will be a uh, European champion, Champions League winner and a World Cup winner. Um, but I could see that he would be able to play for Real Madrid. That that talent was obvious. He, and then it, it always had to be the same as in my career, that he continues this uh, development as, as you could see his talent. Um, and that you never know either. If somebody gets crazy, uh, likes to to uh, gamble or has a lot of alcohol or whatsoever, his, his personal life, you never know what's going on with these guys. But on a normal development, you could see that he was very talented and that he was would be able to play for, for Real Madrid and, and maybe for the national team. How much would he turn to you for advice? Um, he would not ask for advice, but I would give it <laughs> to him anyway. in the early in the early beginning. Uh, we, we, you know, I I felt um, when I started, uh, I was second goalkeeper behind Tony Schumacher, and I was just watching him and watching him training, watching him uh, prepare, preparing for a match, uh, and watching him, you know, in his all as a goalkeeper. And I think Ike Casillas did the same. He he was very observant. He he had uh, he was very calm. He was not nervous at all. Um, he was very open for anything you would tell him. So he was he was a good kid. And and uh, I felt remembered to my beginnings in Cologne with Tony Schumacher in front of me. So I wanted to to give him the same experience I I experienced. I'm going to come back to Real Madrid in just a moment, but you mentioned 1994 World Cup. It didn't go quite as well as 1990. You then decided to retire from Germany, and obviously they went on to win Euro 96. Was it something you now regret that you decided to retire at such an early age? Um, I wouldn't say regret because the situations around this World Cup was um, not nice, the whole atmosphere. It was not fun anymore to go to the national team. And I think uh, the national team is something you go voluntarily. Um, you are called in, of course. You have to be called in to go there. But but if you don't want anymore and you don't feel um, comfortable there, you're free to not go. And and I had this feeling that it's not, not fun anymore. I didn't want to, to spend my spare time, my time uh, in, an, in an atmosphere I did not enjoy anymore. Of course, uh, everything turned out perfectly well two years later, but but you never know um, if everything would have been the same. Uh, so um, uh, on one side, I regret it. On the other side, I would say I would do it if I would do it again differently, not stepping back directly in during the World Cup. But um, by then, by that time, I did just did not feel comfortable around this atmosphere. And you next had a big life-changing moment to Real Madrid. How difficult or easy was it to adjust to a new country, a new language, new food, new customs in Madrid and in Spain? I did not consider it difficult. I think it was much more difficult for, for my family to come with me, to be there in, in, in a completely different atmosphere, living two months at least in a hotel. Um, with me traveling around because I was barely at home in the first uh, in the first year, uh, Fabio Capello he he took us to hotel from one hotel to the next hotel in preparation of the next game. Um, so I did not spend too much time home, and, and that of course made it more easy for me to integrate, to learn the the language, and uh, to learn the habits in in Spain. But um, I did not consider it very difficult. I had a great goalkeeping coach there. Uh, I was very lucky to find Miguel Ángel, one of the former greats of Real Madrid goal goalkeepers. Uh, he was a great guy, a nice guy, and a very good um, goalkeeper coach. And I was lucky to have uh, Fabio Capello, um, Fabio Capello's trust, because he was the one who was asking for me as a goalkeeper and then I felt this trust although there were two other great goalkeepers with me with uh, Santiago Canizares and Paco Buyo two other greats of, of Real Madrid's goal mm, and because I, I lived in Madrid for a while and, and I found the eating times uh, which are very different to England and other parts of Europe quite difficult and things like that but as a player how much pressure do you feel playing for Real Madrid um, I did not feel too much 
pressure itself because the the most pressure or the I, I demanded always the best of me. So I put the pressure on me all all my all of my career. So I did not even I did not feel more pressure um, playing for Real Madrid than for the German national team or for for Cologne. Um, Honestly, not. I did not. But I have to uh, agree that the eating times were a little bit difficult in the beginning, especially with young kids, uh, when when you are only able to to have dinner at uh, from nine on from from nine p.m. on or or lunch from two p.m. on. So that was a little bit difficult. Yes. Yeah. All, all the all these little things. Um, with Real Madrid. You got to the, I believe it was 1997 Champions League final uh, against Juventus. You played in that final. What did you... It was 98, 97-98 season, yes. The, yeah. um, which you went on to win. What Did any of the players turn to you about playing in a big final because you obviously played in 1990 or were all of these players just so experienced anyway that they were able to focus themselves? Well, there were a lot of players who who were really interested in my in my uh, career or in my achievement of the World Cup. Obviously, because uh, Spain did not ever made it to the final by then, and and they had never won the World Cup. So a lot of the young players they were really looking up to me and saying, "Wow, you, you that must be great World Cup winner and stuff like that." So they were really excited about about that. And I was teething them sometimes, and so we were joking around about it. But other players, um, no, they, 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 of course, Raúl and uh, Fernando Hierro, Manolo Sanchez, uh, all these players, they, they have played a lot of big games, so they were not asking for for advice or something like that. The only thing uh, that was really important by then, I think, was Chendo, uh, a long-time Real Madrid player um, on the right back side. He. He had a little speech uh, in whole of the team and said, "You know, I'm so long. I pl- I play now so long for Real Madrid. It's one of my last years now. We we've never won this title in in my time here. So be sure to win this one. It, this this chance does not come too much too often. And so grab it. And I think that was very important to to remind us that it's it's a it's re- a real final and you don't get too many chances to play one of these." You mentioned that the camaraderie of the German team was so important when you won in 1990. How similar was that to the Real Madrid team in 98? Connection was was good, was good between all the players. Uh, it was maybe not as intense because there's so many players from all over the world around there. We had uh, Clarence Zidoff as a Dutch. We had Roberto Carlos as a Brazilian player. We had some Spanish greats, of course. Then we had Davo Schuker and Mijatovic, um, Panucci as an Italian, me in goal as a German. So we were quite a mixed team. Um, it was a team of common interest, I would say, to common interest to be successful. And uh, there were all great professionals to, to hold on to that, to that uh, big aim. You mentioned some fantastic players there. Uh, individually, who do you think was the most talented player you played with? Oh, it's so hard to tell. Every player I just mentioned had had a great talent and a little bit uh, slightly different. Yeah, if we talk about Roberto Carlos, look at his physical strengths, his good shots he made, uh, the technique he used when he when he has chosen his free kicks, for example, um, his willpower to to run the line up and down. On the other side, the experience and the coldness of Manolo Sanchez, for example, then the the uh, good defensive work and the good passes from Fernando Hierro from the back. Um, it is hard to tell who who is the best. Raúl is one of the of the best, of course, as well as he has a an instinct for the situations and he had a talent to to. Um, to change his thoughts into real actions, finally, right? If you see, he saw, saw for, for example, a goalkeeper standing a little bit uh, too wide in front of, to, uh, out of the goal. So he makes a scoop. Uh, and so he had the side for it, but also the technique to to make it. Uh, it was it was fantastical players I played with. I, I, I was really lucky. And what about coaches? You mentioned Capello and, and other coaches. Who was who the one which had the greatest impact on your career and, and what in particular? 
Oh, I would go back to to uh, to one of the early coaches, to Christoph Daum, who impressed me pretty much with his uh, training stuff. Um, he he was really prepared. Every game we played, even in the used already, uh, he he prepared against the smaller teams. Uh, we we did not know any player or any system of them. He but he knew. He prepared us. He knew weeks and strengths. So I would say that he was very very um, impressive in, in 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 the beginning already. And. You now work as a, a TV analyst, uh, watching lots of football. Is there anything you know now that you wish you'd known as a player? Um, not that I know. I have a different view now, of course, of, of football. Um, as a goalkeeper, you were pretty much, uh, or I was pretty much defensive orientated. The, the biggest goal for me was not to receive a goal. Uh, and and the second thing was to win the game uh, any by by any means. So it would be if I would have to put out there five or six defenders uh, to win a game, I would have done that. Uh, as a TV analyst, now I love the offensive football. I like the high pressure. Um, I like um, teams who take the, the, the their chances in their hands and not just sitting back and parking the bus in front of the goal. So it's also very important that a goalkeeper is very good with their feet these days. Would you say that's more important now than it was before? Of course it is, yes. Uh, the, the, this rule changed uh, throughout my career, so I had a slight disadvantage to... Uh, we had to change in our days, all the goalkeepers playing in, in my days. Um, were as We were not as talented, of course, because it was not necessary um, when we started our careers. And while we were playing, we had to to adjust and to, be, to become better. The the kids or the goalkeepers playing now, they grow up with this rule, and of course, they have a lot of advantages uh, over us in this sentence. And where were you when Germany won the World Cup last year? And how did you feel? Did it bring back any memories for yourself? Yes, yeah, not memories, I would say, but I enjoyed it a lot. I was in, in, in the States, I was working for Be In There. Uh, we had our night show after that, and uh, it, was, it felt good to, to be the winner in this, in this panel and to, to chat about a, a World Cup uh, my country had won. And uh, yeah, and to share some experiences, of course, of, of my uh, World Cup as well. And just finally, Bodo, t- tell us what you've been up to and, and how it feels. Well, firstly, how, how did it feel when you finally decided to retire and what have you been up to since? You know, um, I was lucky and um, lucky and unlucky. Uh, I got some injuries uh, at the end of my career. Uh, was not playing regularly. Ike Casillas was coming up there, the young, talented goalkeeper. Um, so I, w- I was lucky in that way. I did not have to rush to recuperate, to be uh, between the sticks as soon as possible, maybe slightly injured still. Um, he was playing very well and uh, I was taking my time to recovery and he, he developed better and better. So uh, in the end, I ended up uh, substituting him, um, holding his back on the bench free that he could develop as he could. And so the, the break from from being a player to to not play anymore uh, was not too big. Uh, I think it would have been different if if I would have stepped back as a playing goalkeeper. But uh, sitting on the bench for the for the last couple of months um, throughout my career um, prepared me a little bit for the feeling not to play anymore. And after that, I was pretty much in, in into football. I uh, I was I started as a TV analyst right away. Um, I did some um, studies about uh, sports directing. I uh, took a course in in the federation in the Spanish federation of for goalkeeper training. Um, I trained some some use keeper use goalkeepers, uh, which was a lot of fun. And and I I I'm happy to say that there's some kids out there who got the spark from me and still playing goalkeeper and developing very nicely. And uh, yeah, and, and continued my work as a TV analyst. Uh, that that's a lot of fun because you travel around. You can still see some of your uh, old friends and teammates, and you're close, still close to football, uh, but not not involved it in a daily daily basis. 
Well, that's great. Um, Bodo, if people want to get in touch with you or see what you're up to around the world, do you have a, a Twitter or a Facebook page or a website people can contact you at or, or see what you're up to? I, I have a, a f- an old Facebook page. I'm not on that for years now. Uh, I was more active on Twitter recently, but uh, I have to admit it, it's it's hard to, to uh, give, put out your thoughts every day there. Uh, so I'm not continuously on on Twitter either. But uh, if if you can find me, then it's on Twitter. Okay, I'll I'll put a link to it when I put this interview up. But oh, I really appreciate your time. It's been a, a thoroughly interesting conversation. Uh, I I could talk football all day if you find it really <laughs> intriguing. Um, but Bodo, thank you for being the best in the world. Thank you very much. You're very welcome for and and thank you for contacting me. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. There we have it. Great stuff from Bodo. Another episode done on the Best in the World with Richard Parr. If you've got any comments, feedback, any suggestions of guests, any suggestions of questions, any suggestions of themes or topics you'd like us to cover on the show, please don't hesitate to contact me directly. Go to my Twitter. That's at Richard underscore Parr. You can also go to the website, richardparr.net. It's all there for you. More information on the show about myself, about the people we've interviewed before. And if you've liked this episode and it's the first episode you've listened to, maybe go back and listen to some of the ones before. Really good chats with rugby players such as Chester Williams and David Campisi. We speak to a hockey player, Ellen Hoog, Andy Tennant's a cyclist. And we'll have so many more interesting guests coming up on The Best in the World. So don't forget to go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, download, listen, tell your friends, tell your mum, tell your dad, tell your brother, tell your sisters, tell your teacher, tell your work colleagues. The best in the world is the place to be and I'll see you next week. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.